1: Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Ask Zach. Today's Telecaster topic is top loading. This is uh, something I've been asked about for a while, and I really didn't have the guitar that could do it. Then I got further pressure from uh, my friend and uh, you know kind of guitar guru Joe Glazer. Joe Glazer said, "You really need to do an episode on on top loading." He said, I get a lot of questions about it and you really need to do it. And he said, I will even get you a bridge and I will drill it out so that you can, uh, you can have one instrument and you can string it both ways and you, people can hear the difference. Well, a month or two after that, I got this new Danocaster and guess what? Uh, this wasn't even something I requested. It has a bridge that's drilled for both methodologies. So it has string through, which it's not being strung that way. And it has the holes on the back lip of the bridge right here. You can see the colorful D'Addario uh, ball ends so that it can go top loading. So in this episode, you're going to get to hear the same guitar with the same, uh, brand and gauge of strings. I'm going to use a D'Addario, um, nine, 5 through 44 NYXLs, a fresh set. I might add, and you'll get to hear it both ways. And so you'll be able to hear the difference. And then I'm going to talk about the difference in feel. Also, I'm gonna talk about what, what changes here that uh, really affect the feel. Also, I'm gonna talk about uh, the history of top loading. I'm gonna go back to the late 50s with Fender and not only talk about them doing it, but why they did it. And historically, what came before that that uh, was top loading. Then'm gonna talk about what Fender has done uh, in the past you know couple of decades where they've continued to do top loading off and on, and not just on signature models. And we're gonna talk about some of the famous players. and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive in deep on top loading today. All right, before we completely dive in, I need to thank my patreon folks uh they are what keeps the channel going and i so appreciate them so thank you and if you love the channel and want to support it check out patreon there is a link in the description also if you're ever going down the road and want to loosen your load or uh something of that sort uh you can check out just about every uh, actually every Ask Zach episode is now available uh, on podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, however, however you listen to a podcast, you can listen to Ask Zach there too. All right, so let's do this. So I'm going to play a uh, a different riff, and you're going to hear it both ways. So you're going to hear it, uh, you know, in one way and then the second. And so, which every with every riff, I'm going to play it string through and uh, top loading. And I'm going to tell you which is which at the end. And then I'm going to talk about what's going on there and talk about the feel. All right, let's go. To keep this as scientific and as fair as possible, both examples either top loading or string through utilized a extremely fresh set of D'Addario NYXL 95 through 44. This is my favorite set of strings. So, uh, Yeah, I literally put them on, stretched them in just enough to stay in tune, then recorded the clips, and then of course had to rip the strings off and then put another set on and uh, record with those. All right, so in all three of the examples, or all six, I should say, I mean, you have three different riffs. The first example of the new riff was always top loading and the second was always string through. So there you have it. If you want to listen again, listen again. I don't hear a huge difference. Uh, There is a difference, but it's, it's somewhat subtle. To me, it seems like the sound is a little softer and a little less assertive when you're, uh, when you're top loading. And of course I feel like it has more nose to it. And it's a little more in your face when you're doing string through, there's a huge difference in feel. Uh, and that has to do with break angle. So if you look at this guitar, and so right now it's strong, uh, top loading, the break angle is very, uh, very slight. It's basically just going right over the saddles and on. If you're going string through, of course the strings coming up like this and then it's making a really hard turn over the saddles, which creates a much greater break angle and creates much greater downward pressure on the saddles and into the body. So it seems like uh, you get different resonance with the two. One, you get more of the resonance of the string going into the body and maybe the other one, it's just kind of coming off of it in a different way. I don't have the, uh, you know, the technical expertise to tell you exactly what's going on scientifically, but it's definitely resonating differently with the two. And it, to me, it it must have to do with the break angle because one, of course, is being mounted to the bridge and just going over the saddles. The other is going, of course, through the body, hard brake angle, and then going through as far as the feel it, uh, with the strings top loaded, it feels like the strings are kind of floating on the neck. It feels like they're not, the strings are not really tamped down with the strings going through the body it feels much more like they're really tied down well and it feels stiffer and that's the difference in feel top loading has less stiffness. Again, we're not going to use the word tension because people are going to freak out and think I'm talking about the tuning being different. It's not tension, it's stiffness. So you get much less stiffness with top loading. It's easier to bend the strings. The strings feel lighter. And it's a nice thing. Uh, however, I prefer the uh, string through methodology and I like having the, uh, the stiffness there, but it is not a, uh, a bad thing at all. And it is uh, a worthwhile pursuit to see if you can find an appropriate bridge that is drilled for both methods, because that way you could uh, check this out for yourself. Uh, bridge shouldn't be more than $50 to $100, and then you can find out for yourself which you like better on your guitar. All right, let's talk about the history. So Fender, in the fall of 1958, began top-loading on Telecasters. Now, this didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, there is a precedence for this on other instruments that Fender made. The first would be the uh, Music Master and Duo Sonic. Those were budget instruments that Fender produced that were short scale necks. They had uh, skinny widths at the nut for smaller hands. And they were, you know, they needed to be as budget friendly as possible, which means they need to be as cheaply to produce as possible. And so they did not drill through the body. Instead, they had a bridge that had a lip on it and they just drilled holes in it and it would go over the saddles. Next, and, and I think this is really where the inspiration comes from for Fender to make the change with the Telecaster, is the precision base. So of course, the original precision base has a slab body black pick guard that covers up both the horns and it has that big single coil pickup and the strings go through the body. Uh, of course the bass uh, changes over in 54, 55 where it gets contours, but it keeps the double pick guards and it keeps going through the body. But in 1957, we get the change to the precision bass, to what everybody thinks of as a precision bass, which is the, of course, the double cutaway contoured body with the pit guard that's more like a stratocaster and you get the changeover to a bridge that is top loading. And the instrument becomes more popular and sells better. And that becomes the classic precision bass that we all know and love. I mean, most people, don't think of the early style P base as the precision base. They'll, you know, they'll call it, you know, 51, or, you know, early, or even call it Tele bass, which of course, when they reissued it in the late 60s, that's what it was called. But uh, that's really, I believe the precedence for this. So they had greater success with the P base going top loading. And by top loading, you are saving money because you don't have to put in string ferrules here. So that's, uh, you know, that's hardware that doesn't have to be produced or ordered. Also, you don't have to drill through the body, which is problematic and can be done badly. And I've seen it done badly on 50s Telecasters. I've seen a lot of them that if you look, the string ferrules are kind of offset and they're really funky looking. I've even, even on a broadcaster that a buddy of mine has, one of them is just sticking up like almost an eighth of an inch higher than the rest of them. And I think this comes from them drilling from the top, and at times the drill bit going sideways or something, you know, going off. And so then you end up with a hole on the other end that doesn't line up with the other ones. And so they would put the string ferrules in, and the string could still go through and it would come out correctly through the bridge. It just didn't look right. So think about Fender has had success with the P base going top loading. And then they think, well, this is a way in which we get to eliminate uh, a difficult process, not horribly difficult, but one that sometimes goes awry. And we can keep selling the Telecaster for the same price and we can save a little money. And frankly, Leo was always into saving a buck. So they produced the Telecaster with a top-loading bridge in late 1958. It does not go over well. Uh, there's pretty immediate uh, requests from uh, dealers and players to, uh, to change it back. So by late 1959, they make the change. Of course you still see top-loading bridges for a while, but they are also, you know, drilled out for through the body. So you'll find factory original 1960, even into 61 uh, Telecasters and Esquires that have string ferrules on the back, you know, for you to string it the normal way. But then they also have the holes here for top loading. And that's that they had top loading bridges that of course they weren't gonna throw them away despite, you know, dealers and, you know, (laughs) and, and players not liking them. So it's like, it's no big deal. They just have these little extra holes back there. And then they, uh, they drilled them through to, uh, to be stringed through. Also Fender brought back top loading in the 1980s for the exact same reason to save money. This was always top loading has always been done to save money. It has never been about tone. It has always been about saving a buck. So in the early 1980s, when Fender USA, still under the CBS ownership, was struggling against the onslaught of uh, Tokai's Fernandez and all the Japanese-made instruments that were amazing, uh, they, they were trying to cut corners and make a cheaper American-made Telecaster and Stratocaster. And so they came out with the Standard Series. Not the American Standard Series, that's later, that's later in the 80s and 86 and 87. Now this is around 1983, they came out with the Standard Series, and so the Telecaster lost its through-body stringing and went to top-loading. The Strat lost its you know, output jack and it went onto the pickguard and then it got a really bad tremolo system, vibrato system. Uh, the series was not successful and it ended up going away. And when the American Standard came out under you know, the Bill Schultz era Fender, that uh, when, when he and a group of investors bought the company in 1985, the, uh, of course, the 52 Ryushu Telly and the American Standard Telly, all those were string through. There were Japanese instruments made during this period of time that were also uh, top loading. And that's because they were based on the 83 standard guitars made in the USA. So in fact, I had a black Squire Telecaster that was made in 1986. That was a top loader and it looked identical to a, uh, a Fender standard Telecaster from 83, except it was, uh, well, it was black with a white pick guard and it had the, uh, you know, sealed machine heads and all that jazz. After that, you continue to see top loaders um, usually as import instruments. So you'll see a top loading, you know, Squires top loading, Fender Mexico guitars, and things like that. It's usually done on budget-minded because it's it's all about saving money. There have been signature models such as the Jim Campolongo uh, Telecaster and the. Jimmy Page' Dragon guitar, of course, was a top loader, also, and uh, those were made top loaders just because that's the instrument that the uh, the artist played originally, and of course, they're going to copy it exactly. Let's talk about some of the players. Of course, I've already mentioned the uh, the really the the most important ones, and uh, my favorite is Jim Campolongo, and that's just because he's a magnificent player. Gets an amazing tone. He plugs a Telecaster pretty much straight into a Princeton Reverb amp and dimes it. And he gets all that variation of clean to really dirty just with the volume control on the guitar. And he's been a top loader you know, guitar player all this time. And he's fantastic. And he's probably the best known and the player that has used a top loader the longest and i think he's at the uh, the top of the top loader hall of fame secondly would be jimmy page and of course the guitar that he had was uh, jeff beck's first and then it went to uh, jimmy page jimmy page used it it had mirrors on it and of course it went through different iterations in the late version of the yardbirds and then into early led zeppelin it's the guitar on stairway to heaven and also on led zeppelin 1 and 2 Pretty, pretty iconic too. However, Paige did not continue to play the guitar. The guitar got fouled up and uh, he stopped playing it. Probably another one that I think I can't confirm it's a top loader or not because the guitar is completely MIA and that's Jesse Ed Davis's Telecaster that he used throughout the sixties and seventies. The one that was kind of painted hippie style in the uh, you know rock and roll circus stuff and then was sunburst and then later on got a Strat pickup in the neck position and was uh, that he played like the concert for Bangladesh and other things. I think that's a top loader so now for a, a group of guitarists that or you know that we don't think of top loaders but they actually are and that's anyone that uses a Bigsby So if you have a Bigsby Telecaster, well, you're a kind of a top loader guy, because again, it's all about the break angle. And they have the same thing going on with them where you have that softer feel and lower tension. Also with the Bigsby, you get the advantage or the, of course, the two sides of the coin on this, you get the advantage of the added weight and mass, which uh, which kind of does a nice thing for the tone, but unfortunately, it also adds weight to the guitar. So if you had a heavy guitar to begin with and you had a Bigsby to it, you get a boat anchor pretty quick. So here, I wanna mention Bill Frizzell because Bill Frizzell is kind of a top loader fan, and that's because most of the Telecasters he plays, and not all of them, but many, many times, m- many of the examples that you find on him of, you know, video where he's playing, whether it's his own work or with Nora Jones or whoever, it is usually a Telecaster with a Bigsby on it. And he hardly ever touches the Bigsby, ever. So with that in mind, I think that Bill likes the feel of top loading and he likes the mass of the Bigsby. And that's why, uh, you know, Bill plays a, uh, a Bigsby equipped telly a lot because he sure doesn't seem to use the Bigsby itself very often. All right, guys. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I need to, uh, th- this is just a personal pet peeve. There's a lot of guys producing videos out there that don't, uh, give credit to their references, their historical Uh, You know where they've gotten information and I'm trying to be good about that. And so I'm going to mention a couple of books. One is of course the Fender Telecaster book by A.R. The late A.R. Duchessoir, which of course has tons of great information that I used. Also Fender the Golden Years and uh, let's see, Fender the Sound Heard Around the World. So those were uh, important in my historical research. Otherwise, it was from my own experience through the years, uh, having worked for a, a Fender dealer in the 1980s and have catalogs uh, going back to, you know, going through all the different eras. So there you have it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope you learned about top loaders and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>